This is another extremely long parak, so we'll just get right to it. Okay, it's, it's a little bit, um, a little bit a lot, a lot of a different type of story. So we have been doing a lot of the. Well, nice to see everybody. Um, we've been doing a lot of the cycle. So we talked about the cycle and we've had Athniel, the great Tamachacham. We had Ehud, the warrior. We had Devora, the Neviah. And we had Gidon, another uh, warrior and general interesting character. And the cycle sort of followed the way it's supposed to go so that the Jewish people sinned, they did their Avodah and then they uh, were punished with an enemy, and then they, they davened Hashem, and they were saved by a judge. The end of chapter 8, we, we have to go a little bit backwards with chapter 8 in order to understand chapter 9, and uh, I, I don't remember exactly how much we discussed it, but I'm going to screen share so we can, we can see. Um, okay. So first, first I should, um, I generally like to go right into the division of the chapter, but I think it's worthwhile for us to go backwards a few minutes and to, to see the seeds of the problems at the end of chapter eight. So first of all, chapter eight, we saw that Gidon made himself a golden aphode. At the end of chapter eight, he, he and, and, and here is like chapter nine is kind of, the way I see it is kind of a, a meditation on leadership. And um, the seeds are sown at the end of chapter eight for the problems of chapter nine. And the first thing that happens is that the people come to Gidon and say, Gidon, we want you to be our leader. And Gidon is like, you know, no, 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 right? And, and it sounds so amazing. He's so inspiring. Uh, right? I'm not going to be your king. My, my son is not going to rule. God is going to be your leader. And that's all very nice. However, what are the ramifications of such a refusal? And how is this going to play out? We're going to see. So the first problem that happens is that he sets up this uh, he says, you know what, everybody give me a nose ring from your plunder from the Midianites. And he puts together an aphode, which is a priestly garment. And he makes this like heavy gold thing with a ton, a ton of gold. Uh, the dust maker figured out to be 21 kilos of gold. So for the people who think in pounds, oh, yeah, I mean, we're talking about 40, 50 pounds of gold. And he sets it up in Ofra, and it becomes, after his death, an object of Avodah So number one, could he have foreseen that? Possibly. If he had put it in Shiloh, the Ralbag suggests maybe it would have been more acceptable. Why does he put it in Ofra? What does he expect to happen? A lot of questions. But that's problem number one. Problem number two is that, um, he goes home, he goes home, and then he begins having children. Well, he certainly had children before because we know that he, he tells his oldest son, Yeser, to kill the two kings, Zebach and Samuna. But at the end of chapter eight, we find out that he had 70 sons, seven, oh, sons, that's a lot of children. So we figure he had to have had at least seven wives and uh, it was very busy that was a busy household over there and then you find in Lama Alf that he has also a Pelegesh so the Ralbag is very concerned with this the Ralbag you should know that at the end of every section the Ralbag goes through a list of lessons we learned 
life lessons from the roadblock. And he says, uh, you really shouldn't be so involved in sex. Not a good idea. Because if you had seven to 10 wives, which is likely, what did you need a concubine for? Okay. But anyway, this concubine, this concubine lives in Trem. So we're going to talk about that in a minute. And she has a son. She bears a son for Abi, for Gidon. And he, by Yasemich moment, and it seems as if this is he not his original name. He puts his name Abimelech. Okay. And then Gidon dies before all everything falls apart, um, which is nice for him. You know, it's always think of who's it, Louis the 14th of Puebla de Luge. <laughs> Once he's gone, everything falls apart. And we see that after he dies, the, the children of Israel go after the Avodazara, uh, and they make this Baal Brit their god. Now, uh, we talked a little about the different Baals. Every Baal has a different name. I don't know if I uh, mentioned Baal Brit before. We had Baal Peor. We had, um, um, who else do we have? Which Baal? Baal Peor, Baal Brit, Baal, a lot of Baals. My, my favorite is Baal Zebub. That's... Lord of the Flies, and uh, you know that our, our uh, uh, literary people choose the, the Tanakh for their inspiration. And by the way, Balzabub, if you pronounce it a certain way, it comes out Beelzebub. Beelzebub. So the, one of the Christian designations for um, the devil comes from this idea of the Balzabub. So but anyway, Baal bridges their new Avodazara, and they don't remember God, and they don't do chesed with the house of Yerubal, and that's what we're going to look at now. So in our, at the beginning of this chapter, you see that it's super long, it's 97, I'm sorry, 97, not that long, 57 second long. And basically we have here, from uh, verse 1 to verse 21, we have the story of Abimelech and what happens with his brothers. And um, this famous uh, scenario here, which we'll, we'll go into in a minute, is called Mashal Yotam, very, very famous allegory that uh, his brother Yotam tells. We'll go into that in a minute. And then we talk about his rule. Then we talk about the, uh, that's 22 to 25. And then from 26 until 45, we have all the various... Um, um, inter, internal fights that happened with Abimelech and his people. And uh, from 46, 46 to 49 is another one of his battles. And then um, from 50 to 57 is his death. So let's go to the Psukim. So Abimelech jumps right in and he begins making trouble immediately. And we have three warning signs that I just mentioned to you. One of them we didn't talk about is the city of Shechem. Shechem is a very problematic place. Shechem is not a nice place. Shechem, if you recall, is where Dina was raped. And um, it's the place where the sale of Yosef happens. And, you know, if anyone goes by there today, you'll see that it's not a very friendly town. It's interesting because um, on the recent TO, the girls were around in that area, the current uh, students, and one of them said to me, like, I had, I felt such uh, terrible vibes coming from, that they, they were just like, they were, no one was inside or anywhere near Shrem, but they were overlooking Shrem, and she felt, she told me, I, unsolicited, I did not ask her about it, because I always felt that, Shrem and Hebron give me the heebie-jeebies, but she said I, I was just a scary place, not a nice place. Okay, that's that's uh, problem number one. Problem number two is this Pelegesh. Now, a Pelegesh is a secondary wife. A secondary wife has no ketubah and she has no kiddushin. So we said before that what is going to doing taking a Pelegesh when he has so many wives, and this doesn't sound like a good idea. And then also we find out that she lives in Shrem, which is odd. So the Dasmikra speculates that a Pelegish lives with her family 
But um, I'm not sure about that because the, the story of the Pelegish Begiba, the Pelegish lives in her husband's town. So I don't really understand it. But anyway, Pelegish is a bad idea. And the only reason a woman would become a Pelegish is because, um, because you know, she wants to have a regular, to be a regular wife of, of, of a normal status. But the reason this happens usually is because the, the person is of such stature and, you know, they didn't, they couldn't go to law school you know, or, uh, or medical school. So <laughs> somebody took care of them and pay the money. So they went along with it. And the third danger here is that this son of Ginon and the Pelegesh calls himself Abimelech. Now Abimelech means my father is the king. And that doesn't seem to be his original name. So number one, he clearly has that feeling that, you know, my father's a king, you know, uh, was a great person. And, and second of all, Abimelech is a generic term for Canaanite kings. Plishti kings, we see this in, in, in Bracious, where um, the Abimelechs of that time made trouble for Abram and for Yitzchak. Now, one thing we should recognize, and I want to just put this on the table right away, the Das Mikra has a very interesting theory about the, the Shechem, the people of Shechem, and he maintains that they were not Jewish. Now, if you go back to Sefer Yoshua in chapter 9, we meet the Givonim. The Givonim are Chivi. The Chivi are one of the seven nations, and they make a deal. They make a deal with Yoshua, underhanded deal, and Yoshua lets them live which he's not supposed to, and they tricked him. But once it was done, then that deal stood. And the Chibi remained under the protection and the sort of second-class citizens of the Jewish people. So when we go back to the original story of Shechem, which is the story of the rape of Dina, we find that, that those people were Chibi. So Das Mikra says it's very likely that the people of Shechem had a similar status to the Gibonim. In other words, they're not Jewish, they're sort of allied with the Jews, but they're not exactly um, uh, the same status. And we, if we bear this in mind, some of this story will make more sense. Okay, Pasakala. Avimelech, the son of Yerubal, and notice we get a lot of Gidon references to Yerubal, reminding us that Yerubal was the one who fought the Baal, the Baal. Gidon, was the one who was anti Davodazara in chapter six. We already saw that. He goes to Shechem to the brothers of his mother, and to all the house of the father of his mother, his maternal relatives in Shechem. Speak please to all the masters of Shechem. So Avimelech comes to the relatives, his relatives on his mother's side. He says, listen, guys, you know, Gidon is dead. He had 70 sons. Do you want to be run? You want this country run by 70 men? Wouldn't it be better if one person runs the country? And don't forget that I am actually related to you. So it's an interesting statement. So first of all, why would it be that 70 men running a country is problematic. 70 men is actually interesting. It's like 70 is like the Sanhedrin. Why would that be problematic? And I don't think we have to go too far to answer that question because just look at the coalition, you know, uh, trade trading that goes on. If one person runs everything, so then decisions are made, things happen. If a million people are involved, then everybody's got to figure everything out. So he's giving them this, this you know, but we we also have to think back when Gidon says, I don't want to be the king. Why does he have 70 sons? Is he is he thinking that he's not actually the king, but maybe he is a leader, maybe his children will also rule after him? What's actually going on here? But Avimelech is very clever and he says, You guys, if you back me, you will be, you know. Uh, you know, you'll have protexia, as we call it in Israel. 
I will be, you know, your man in, in the in the White House. But So the brothers of his mother spoke about him to all the masters of Shechem, all these things, and their hearts turned after Abimelech. Why? Why? Because they said, he's our brother. He is going to get us what we want because he's going to be running things. Pasuk Dalet. And they gave him 70 pieces of silver from where, from the house of that's Avodazara Balbrit, which is not kosher money, by the way. And notice it's 70 pieces of silver. What, what is the correlation between the 70 brothers and the 70 pieces of silver? By Yiskarbahem, he rents or hires Abimelech He hires men who are empty and hasty. If you we had this expression with Ruven, hasty, reckless, not thinking about what they do. So he's got this band of reckless, empty mercenaries. He's got his little armies there. And he comes to the house of his father in Ophrah. And he kills his brothers, the sons of Yerubal, 70 men on one stone. And the youngest, the youngest, his name was Yotam, the son of Yerubal, he remained. Why? Not out of the goodness of Abimelech's heart, but because he hid. So you have this horrific murder, and this is something that's just like this is a common act in those years, in those times, not a Jewish thing, where a person would seize power and slaughter all the competition, even if it's all his family. These are all his brothers. And the murderers take them out and slaughter them all on one stone, and this is just an absolute horror, okay? Now, if you go back to the 70 pieces of silver, then we have to ask ourselves, the Baalei Shechem, the masters of Shechem, who are backing Avimela, what is their responsibility in terms of these murders, right? And I think the legal term would be accessory before the fact. This whole thing was what we call malice aforethought. Avimela plans this, Abimelech wants to be the ruler. He's getting rid of all the competition in one blow, and he's got all these people paying blood money for him to do it. And so he gets what he wants, Pasik Bav, and now we switch to the Mashal Yotam, the, uh, the allegory of Yotam. Pasik Bav. Now, Beit Milo was, was a... Um, one second. Beit Milo was a, a, a brother city somewhere nearby. And they're all in cahoots here. And they make Abimelech king at a place called Elon Mutzab, some kind of uh, plain where there were a lot of people could gather near Shechem. And <coughs> this clearly is not a, a place, uh, not a, a real kingship, because our first king is Shaul Amel. We don't consider Abimel the first king, but they called him king. This is what he wanted to be called. But, you know, uh, he, he was some sort of ruler, like, in, you know, the Barbadil says he was an evil judge. But it's hard to call this man a judge. Pasuk Zion. Yotam, the sole survivor of Gidon's legitimate sons, goes to the top of Hargrisim, which is a high mountain. And if you recall, when the Jewish people come over the Jordan, this is one of the places where they stand and they proclaim blessings and curses. Hargrisim was the place where they proclaim blessings. And there must have been some really good acoustics. Now, Yotam stands on the top of the mountain. Why? Because he's not stupid. 
And if he got anywhere near Abimelech, that would be the end of him. So he stands up there and he raises his voice and they hear him and he says, listen to me, listen up guys, masters of Shem, and then God will listen to you, okay? And he begins his parable. Now, the Das Mikra points out that because it was an agricultural society, and we see this all over the Tanakh, we speak in terms of agriculture. And this mashal is heavily based on that um, agriculture. And maybe I'll just see if I can, I just tried to get this here. There you go, the olive tree, a royal and beautiful, majestic tree. You find them all over Israel, all over Yushalayim in the areas, in many places, you know, this, Right. Okay. And the trees decide they want a leader. And they come to the Zayat, the olive tree, and they say, please be our leader. And the olive tree says, shall I stop producing my oil, right? My precious oil, olive oil, that honors men and God, right? What do we do with olive oil? Just, just go into, just think, you know, we use olive oil for lighting the menorah. We use olive oil for sacrifices. We use olive oil for heat. We use olive oil for everything, right? Olive oil is a very, very important and honorable commodity. And the tree responds and says, shall I? leave producing my beautiful oil, right? Which honors God and men. And I will go to wave over this. Lanua is a very, very interesting phrase. Lanua means to wave. So you get this sort of picture of like the sort of, you know, like a conductor, like waving his arms. Wave over the trees. What, what does that expression mean? That means the trees are expressing that they just you know, the way they see it, the way the, um, um, the way the olive tree is expressing is like, what I am doing is I am producing oil. Oil is a productive, useful, honorable commodity. If I were to be your leader, I would just be making a lot of you know, waves, I would just be making noise and I wouldn't be producing anything. So you're actually asking me to give up a useful position to do something useless, refuses, okay? Now, um, possible, yud. And they come to the fig tree and they say, you be our king. Now the fig tree, you see is feminine here. But the fig tree says, shall I stop producing my sweetness and my good produce to go and wave over the trees? A, 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 similar, a similar refusal. I just have some fun finding you some nice pictures. There's a beautiful fig tree. Fig trees, you know, um, and, um, and, and grapevines are very, very characteristic in Israel. And, and the expression later on becomes, in the time of Shlomo and later on, ish tachat gafno tachat That was an expression for the contentment, every man dwelling under his vine and under his fig tree. These are very beautiful leafy trees. And the Te'ina says, I, I produce such sweetness. And what is figs, very, very delicious and sweet fruit. And I'm producing that. And so the, the fig tree, let's go back here. The fig tree says, I, I I have all this sweetness. I have all this produce. You're telling me to leave my productivity and go to, you know, wave over the trees. And they take another tribe. 
they come to the vine and they say, you be our king. And the geffen, the vine says, should I stop producing my wine? My grape juice, today they have a company here, Tirosh, the grape juice company. But the geffen is talking about wine. Like I make wine. Wine makes God happy. This is of course, you know, honoring God and making God happier all always, we always say kibyacho, like it's an anthropomorphism. We, we giving God characteristics of people. But we know, what do we do with wine? Every mitzvah is celebrated with wine, a, a, a wedding, a Shabbos, a Kiddush. We use wine for, you know, things in the, in the, in the Beit HaMikdash. I, I am so productive. Wine is such a wonderful thing. And you want me to wave over the trees? No. So I have a picture of a vineyard for you also. You know, a very beautiful thing. Look at these, you know, beautiful grapes. Let me make that a little bigger. And all over, by the way, all over the Gush Etzion area, most magnificent vineyards everywhere. So, one second, I just, there's a map in here. I, I knew I'd put a map in here. You have here Shrem, here's Hargrizim. Aruma and Tevets will learn about, but I wanted you to see that map. And now they come to the thorn bush. I got this one, so that's a little bit black and white. So the trees are kind of stuck. Those trees don't want to be the leader. Now notice this is Kola Eitzim. If we are Medayek here, if we're paying attention before, it's Ha'itzim. Selected representative of the tree community asked the olive, the, the, the fig tree, and the date, uh, and the uh, vineyard to be their um, leaders. But they're already desperate now. So all the trees, like there's a whole rabble, and they come to, to the thorn bush. So here's a picture of a thorn. The Das Mikra, uh oh, what I do there? Okay. Um, and they come to the thorn. Now, the thorn bush has a different reply. Pasik The thorn bush says to the trees, If you really are anointing me to be, that's another thing that you do with the oil. You anoint people, you honor people with the oil. If you're anointing me to be a king upon you, come and take refuge in my shade. Now, think about that for a moment. What are the characteristics of a thorn bush? Okay, you know, if you live in Israel, you just walk outside, there's thorn bushes everywhere. They are not tall trees. So if the thorn bush is saying, come and shelter in my shade, what does that actually mean? That means you have to lower yourselves to get below me. You have to be subservient to me. And I am a lowly creature, so you're going to have to be lowly as well. But if you're not willing to pull yourself down and come below my shade, fire will come out of this thorn with and my fire can eat even the cedars of Lebanon. So that I have for you also a nice cedar tree. Now, cedars of Lebanon are, are um, tall, very, very majestic looking trees. So now let's unpack this mashal and try to figure out what are we being taught here, okay? Because this is the end of the mashal part and Pasik Tetzayin is going to begin um, Yotam's uh, uh, description uh, Tom's uh, explanation of the Nimshal. But we have to try to figure it out. So the basic bottom line from this Mashal is if you are a productive, useful tree, you don't want to be the leader, right? If you are a productive and useful person, you see leadership as a useless burden. 
I have so many more important things to do with my life than to be a leader. Who is the person who wants to be the leader? The lowly thorn bush. Now, what, what is the benefit of a thorn bush? What do we use the thorn bush for? It doesn't produce fruit. It doesn't produce oil. It doesn't produce wine. What does it produce? Nothing. What are the, what are the properties of a thorn bush? It's prickly. It's dangerous. You can hurt yourself. And the only thing it's good for is kindling. The only thing it's good for is to toss it in a fire. If that is what's left, right? That's what wants to be the leader. So there's a number of, of, of ways of interpreting this mashal. So I'll just try to <clears throat> give you the basics. First of all, Rashi goes straight away for three great leaders. And Rashi says the olive tree represents Adnail ben Kanaz, the great Tamahaham, who produces oil, who is so wise and so uh, such a great scholar and such a great leader. The sweetness of the fig tree, Rashi says that's Devorah. And it's interesting because the bow were actually set under a date palm and not under a fig tree. But we know that that the the, the word devora means a bee, and a bee produces honey. So that makes sense with the sweetness. And actually, there are psukim. The Rashi brings psukim to back up all his ideas. And he says about the, if you look here, Rashi says. Then he says, um, the Te'ena is Devoa. He doesn't think that requires a Pasuk. And the Gefen is Gidon. Rashi says here, Shehum is ever Yosef. Gidon is Manasha, which is Yosef. And it says about Yosef, Ben Parat Yosef, the fruitful, uh, uh, productive wine that's now, of course, once we've got those three people, those three great leaders, Atni Eldvora and Gidon, so then we can pretty much put a name to the Atad. And Atad is that dangerous and useless creature. And um, so that's a discussion of Abimelech. And who are the cedars of Lebanon? The cedars of Lebanon, cedars of Lebanon are very often used as a metaphor for arrogance. That's the masters of Shem. Okay, now the Abarbanel and the Malbin take this mashal in a different direction. I'll just throw it out there for you to think about. They say that Atmiel, the first people that you go to when you want a leader are the great scholars. The next, that would be the, uh, the olive tree. Those are the... Olives are old trees, old, wise trees. The fig tree are the wealthy people. They have, I don't even discuss about what the sweetness does, but it's very practical and useful, the sweet things. And the, the vine are the diplomats, men of good character, people who are very, um, very good out there. That's, like the, that's the type. And then you get to the Atan, and they say the Atan, symbolizes the, the, the bloodthirsty um, and, and uh, the megalomaniacs of this world. Now, a couple of things. Number one, we, we didn't talk about our life lessons. The first life lesson here is the power of one person. The only surviving son of Gido, Yotam, Put, makes this mashal a powerful, powerful language. And he now will explain and rebuke Abimelech and the people of Shechem. And while he's at it, he's going to curse them, right? And this is a tremendous thing that he does and has an enormous impact on what comes next. And I think that, you know, just in general, I'm always inspired by how one person can do amazing things. You know, there's many, many stories of people who start all sorts of 
charitable institutions for one reason or another, you know, and they're just ordinary people and they just do amazing things. I don't know. I just comes to my mind, the chicken lady woman was standing online in Ramada Shkol and uh, the girl in front of her bought like chicken fat. And um, she was like, she said to the butcher, like, you know, why, why is that girl just buying chicken fat? And he said, their family's very poor. They can't afford chicken. So I just give her the fat. So she said, give, send them two chickens and I'll pay for it. And she began a whole stucca till today. And she passed away already. She like lived to a hundred or something. She made a whole stucca where they just send chickens to poor families all over Yishalayim. It's quite an amazing story. So one person can have a huge impact. So that's the first lesson we get here. And I think a lot of other lessons we get out of here are about leadership. What's good leadership? What's bad leadership? And if you look at what goes on here, let's just go through the rest of the mention. Tetzayim. This is your time speaking. If you really are acting out of, uh, you know, pure thoughts and goodwill, and you made Abimelech king out of the goodness of your heart, and you really, really treated Gidon and his family right, and she did to him what he deserved, and then he, he, he burst forth, my father fought for you, and he threw his, his soul forward, which is what we would call in English, he risked his life for you, and he saved you from Midian, right? Did you treat him right at the end of Perichet? We see in the Pasuk say they didn't remember God and they didn't remember Gido. They were ungrateful. And so many times another life lesson for us that a bad mida causes terrible trouble. The ingratitude to God and to Gidon brought about this terrible, terrible atrocity. Now notice he speaks in the plural. He blames Abimelech, but he also blames the people of Shem. And he knows that Abimelech could not have done what he did if he didn't have the backing of his mother's family. You rose up on the house of my father, Hayom, today. And you killed his sons, 70 men on one stone, and you made Abimelech king. Who is he? Ben Amato, the son of his maidservant, he's putting him down here, on the masters of Shem, only because he's your brother. And if you really really loved Gibnon and you did good for him. So just enjoy each other. You just, just enjoy each other. You see the passion that he's speaking with Pesachah. But am I, and if it's not true, because he knows that it's not true, he's just putting it forward as if to say, as in a sarcastic manner. Like, you know, you guys treated Gidon so well, risked his life for you, did everything you knew, you killed all his sons and he blames them also. But if you are, the evil people that I know you are, am I, if you didn't do it, if you didn't do it in purity and with good thoughts, and you did it just because he's your brother and you want to take power, right? Then, let fire come out of Abimela, that thorn king, let it burn up, right? The masters of Shem, that Beit Milo and his allies, and the fire should come out of the Bali Shem, um, Beit Milo, and eat up Abimelech, and then destroy each other. This is a curse. He says, if, if you did this with evil intent, which I know you did, then just burn each other up. Pasuk Chavalaf, by Yanas Yotam, Yanov Yotam is no dope. He runs away, by Yivrach, by Yelach, by Eira, by Yeshiv Shem, Mipne Abimelech, and he runs away to a place called Be'er, where Abimelech does not hold sway, and he dwells there to stay away from Abimelech, his brother. Okay, so a number of things we learn here. We learn that if you are helping an evil person, you are culpable. 
that is one of the lessons here. You don't fool yourself into thinking, well, uh, you know, I don't really know what he's up to. You sometimes you have to be very, very careful, very smart. And it's important to understand this. Second of all, if you have a, um, a vacuum of leadership, it will be filled by the lowest possible denominator. And unfortunately, I don't want to get into current day politics, but this is what happens. And when the thorn says, come rest beneath my shade, we're basically learning that a lowly leader, a, a leader with no, uh, nothing to recommend him except his bloodshed and his evil, we're basically learning that he's going to pull everyone else down with him. So the next section is how the curse of Yotam plays out. And Avimelech ruled over Israel for three years. Now notice the word Vayasar. Not Vayimloch, not Vayishpot, none of these things. He was a sar over them. He ruled, Rashi says, al Korcham, against their will. al Korcham nahagi banut b'gaava. He ruled over the Jewish people against their will and with arrogance. And we have God stepping in here, Pasuk Chav Gimel. And God sent an evil spirit of animosity between Abimelech and the masses of Shechem, and they rebel against him. Now, it's very important to understand the nature of Yotam's curse is that they should destroy each other. You guys destroy each other, Habdalit. And this is God helping out in that fulfillment of that curse. So that the theft and the violence of the 70 sons of Yubal and their blood will be put on their brother Abimelech who killed them and on the masses of Shechem who strengthens his hand to, to kill his brothers. Now we're being told that God is now stepping in to make sure everyone gets what they deserved. And that is actually another life lesson for us because HaKadosh Baruch is going to give people what they deserve. Now, what, in what form does this rebellion take? They start making ambushes at the tops of the hills surrounding Shechem, and they rob all the travelers, and they tell Abimelech. What's the point of this? Number one, they are preventing Abimelech from coming back to Shechem. And number two, they are showing to him, nah, 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 you don't, you're not in charge here anymore. We don't really care about you. Okay? Pasuk Chavav. Vayavo, Pasuk Chavav, a new character appears. Vayavo Gal ben Eved Rechav, Vayavu Bishchem, Vayusachubo Balishchem. A man by the name of Gal ben Eved comes with his brother's merry band, and they come to Shechem, and the people of Shechem, the masses of Shechem, put their trust in them. They say, oh, we don't, have, we don't want Abimelech to lead us, but this guy, Gal ben Eved, he'll, he's going to be our leader now. And Rashi makes a point here of saying he is definitely not Jewish. Now, I actually love the name Gal ben Eved because, um, you know, there's no accident with these Hebrew names. The word Gaal is nausea actually. Something that's mag'il is nauseating, <coughs> disgusting. And Evid is a slave, so I just think of him as nausea, son of slave, creepy guy. Okay, and we have Abimelech who thinks he's king. Delusions of grandeur. Now you remember we talked about at the beginning of chapter eight, Batsir. Batsir is the vintage, the grape harvest. So when the people of Shechem find a new strong man, this Gaal guy, this disgusting nausea guy, and they say, oh, now we can go out. They were afraid to go out. They go out and they 
harvest the, the, the vines, and by Yidrachu, they stomp them, by Asuhi Lim, and they make uh, celebrations, by Yavo, by Zelohehem, by Yochul, by Yishti, by Kaltavimela. So it's like kind of back in alien. They're, they're making wine, they're drinking, they're eating, and what comes out when they start that? They're cursing Avimela. Who the heck is he anyway? Why should we serve him? Hello, Ben Yerubal. He is the son of Yerubal, and his his chief officer who's running the place now, his name is Zvul. Now, Zvul can mean many things, but just going with the spirit of, I just call him Zemel. So he's garbage. This guy, there's no good guys in this story, none. Yotam is the only good guy, and he's out of the picture now. So you have Noah, son of slave, he's one guy, and then you have Abimelech, the megalomaniac, and you have Zvul, garbage. Zvul is Abimelech's appointee. Zvul is, if we don't believe in Abimelech, why should we listen to his minion, Zvul? Who cares about Zvul? Go back in time. This was an honored city. We had the great leaders of Shechem and his father, Hamor, right? Those great people, remember them? Those are the people who stole Dina and raped her. Why should we serve the son of Irabal. Now, the Dasmaker goes to town on this, and it makes a lot of sense to me, so I'll just throw it out to you. The Dasmaker says, there's a lot of reasons to believe that the people of Shechem are not Jewish. That Pelegesh is not Jewish? That makes sense. Gidon didn't marry her because she's not Jewish. That's one. Also, the term Baalei Shechem, Baalei Shechem, Baalei Shechem, Baalei Shechem. If we go back to chapter 8, we had Anshei Sukkot, Anshei Penuel, those were the Jews. These guys are not Jewish. And look at the irony. Avimelech, as the son of a non-Jewish woman, is clearly not Jewish. If we're going along with this theory of Adat Mikra, then we say, he comes to his non-Jewish relatives and says, make me king over the Jews, because I'm actually one of you guys. And then they turn around and they say, why should we listen to that Jew? That's what you got here. And the Bali Kabbalah, it's fascinating. The Bali Kabbalah say that Hordus, Herod, is a Gilgal of Avimelech, that he's a reincarnation, another person who's half Jewish, the wrong half, right? Who rules with cruelty and arrogance over the Jewish people, right? And kills all of his relatives. It fits, okay? But Gal is coming forward and saying, why, why should we listen to Avimelech? Who's he anyway? He's nobody. And then he threatens him. If I was in charge here, I'll get rid of Avimelech for good. Okay, Avimelech, come and get me. Get yourself a big army and come and get me. Big talker. Now, Zabul, we said he's garbage, right? But he's Avimelech's man. He gets very angry. gets very angry. What is he saying? But he's not stupid either. So he said, Avimelech, be careful. This guy Gaal, Ben Evan, Noja, son of slave, and his brothers, they're coming and they are holding the city against you. And I give you a piece of advice, Pasak Laman Bet. You make an ambush in the field in the middle of the night. You get up early in the morning when the sun gets up. And you can attack the city. You wait with your ambush. When Gal and his people come out of the city, you got him. And they actually make an ambush in that night. Abimelech, they make four different positions at uh, coming towards Shem, Lamed, Lamed, Hey. But Yetzay Gal Ben Now, this is actually a funny exchange in a certain way because you have, first of all, Abimelech, Zvul, Abimelech's mayor, his officer says, you know, keep yourselves in an ambush. And then when they're all out, you can attack. 
Kathy Mills, hey, it's too much bravado, too much, you know, uh, uh, what do you call it? Arrogance to go, go, go on with that. So he, he goes and he starts, he's got this ambush ready and then he starts coming down the mountain towards Shem. Lamed hey, by Yetzei Galben Ebed, and this guy Gaal comes out by Yamod Pesach Shari Yeriko standing by the gate of the city. By Yakam Avimelah for Amasheri Tamanah, they're coming out of the ambush. Now Zvul had told Avimelah, wait until everyone's out. So Zvul wants to make it as big a surprise as possible, and somehow he and Gaal are talking, and he's kind of pretending that he's on Gaal's side, or somehow. Gaal says, well, people coming down from the mountain there. It's shadows. It's not really people. You're just seeing shadows because he doesn't want him to jump out. They're already at the middle of the land. Tabur is the navel. They're at the middle of the mountain. And then they're coming right here. They're right coming here. And like at this point, Zvul can no longer deny that they're being attacked by Abimelech's forces. And Zvul says, well, hey, where's your mouth that said, who the heck is Abimelech? We should serve him. In other words, in the vernacular, put your money where your mouth is, big shot. These are the people you despise. Go get him. Go out now and fight him. So Gal has no choice. He didn't really actually want to do this. He's just a big talker. But he goes and he fights Abimelech. And Abimelech chases him and he flees before him. And many people are killed until the entrance of the gate. Now, don't forget these cities have gates. So once they get back into the gate, this is what Zvul wanted to avoid with Abimelech, but Abimelech was too hasty and too arrogant. So he loses at the end of this battle because Gaal's people get back to the city. But it's not over. Abimelech goes back to his town. And Zvul takes the upper hand and throws out Gal. Now, this is very interesting what happens. The people of Shechem figure, once we got rid of Gal, it's all over. That's what Abimelech wanted. And now we'll make friends again with Abimelech. But they're dealing with a megamaniac murderer. It's not so simple. And the next day they go out to the fields because they figure once we threw out Gal, then Abimelech has no more beef with us. But that's not true. And he takes the people and he puts them in three heads again and he makes another ambush and he sees the, pit, the people going out and he comes up against them and he kills them. This time, every Melech gets it right. He says, I'm not letting anybody get back in the city. So he has one of his groups stand at the entrance of the city so no one can get back in there. The gates of the city are always an issue if a city is a walled city. So the people are out in the field and they've got, he's got some of his people slaughtering them. And then people are running back to the city. They don't let them in. So everyone gets killed. Abimelech fights the city the whole day. captures the city, kills everybody. Lovely man, Abimelech, lovely. And he smashes the city, destroys the city, and he sows it with salt. Now, it's very interesting. What's the deal with the salt? But if you put salt in the ground, you cannot grow anything. So he thinks he's like finished Shechem. He's done with it. So remember what Yotam said, destroy each other. And this is, a, this is another lesson for us. Evil people left to their own devices, they will destroy each other. There is a tower of people of Shechem where they protect themselves. And whoever is left from these people hide in this tower. Pasuk Memzai and Abimelech's not done. Pasuk Memzai. You got Abimelech, it's Kapsu Kabali Migdash Pem. 
And he hears that they're all getting together at this tower. They come up to this mountain where this uh, tower is. And he takes axes. And he cuts off branches of trees. And he carries a branch. Puts it on his shoulder. What you saw me do, cut off a branch, put it on my shoulder, hurry and do that also. Echoes of Gidon. Gidon, his father, he does have some properties of Gidon, the father. He's brave and he's resourceful. And he uh, he says, remember Gidon says with the pots and the, and the torches, me many to watch me and do like I do. And Abimelech says the same thing. He's still Gidon's son. So this evil guy has all these branches and he puts them all around this tower and sets them all on fire. The classic weapon of the thorn bush, fire. He burns them all. Now, we had a fire in our building um, about a year and a half ago and there was no fire, it was just smoke. People were just, you know, it was, it was really, really scary. We had people who had to be evacuated with like a crane because their apartment was full of smoke. So they, these people don't stand a chance. It reminds me of a little bit of Macbeth, you know, Burnham Wood. Anyway, he's so angry, Abimelech, and he's such an evil person. He's going to all the allies and he's going to kill them all. So he goes to a place called Tevates, captures it. Now, he's in for a little bit of a surprise himself. Now, in the city of Tebates, which is kind of rare, apparently it's, a, it's a, an ally of Shem, and they, he attacks that city. So the people have in, within the city a fortress tower, and they all run into the tower and they close it against them and they go up to the roof of the tower. And he comes to fight it and he comes to the entrance, he's going to burn it because he's worked very well with the tower of Shechem. But he's in for a surprise. So he, a woman at the top of the roof, throws on him a part, a section of a millstone, the upper millstone, the millstone, if, if you've ever seen it, it looks like two donuts. There's one flat donut and one standing donut. And those two, they, they put something in the middle, like a stick in the middle of the top donut, that's the rechev, and the bottom one is called the rechayim. And they take an animal usually, and the animal puts it. That's how they, you know, process olives, grapes, and uh, wheat. So she's got it's a big piece of rock, and she throws it on Abimelech, and she smashes his skull. But Tarit says Gulgalato, Pasi Mandal, but he's not dead yet. It's a death blow, but he's not dead yet. And he calls his his uh, armor bearer, his 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 buddy there. Take out your sword and kill me. Why? Not because I'm suffering. They're going to say a woman killed him. And the youth obliges, he stabs him and he dies. A life lesson. If your life is lived in pursuit of honor, and that's all you think about, that is at the moment of death, it's all they can think about. And the environmental says it's not really true that a woman killed him. It's not like she, it's not like Yael, who, you know, who put a 10 pin in Sisera's head, right? It's a missile. Anybody can send a missile from a tower. It's not because she was a woman, but he's so hung up on his own honor that he can't handle the fact that it's a woman. I said, oh, that guy's dead. So we're all going home. It, nobody wanted to be there. The Jews were following Abimelech because they had no choice. As soon as he dead, they like, we are out of here. Pasig nun vav. 
And God returned the evil of Abimelech that he did to his father to kill his 70 brothers, passing on Zion. And all the evil of the people of Shem, God returned on their heads. God gave back all the evil of the people of Shem and the curse of Yotam, the son of Yubal, came upon them. So there's a few things I want to um, say because we're, we're, we're out of time. Number one, I keep talking about the 70 sons. The, the Radak discussed it. It's actually 69. The 70th son was Yotam. But it's a matter of speaking that he would have killed 70 if he could have. And all of them are one stone. And there is your Midah Kenegad Midah. Because all of them are killed on one stone. And what kills Abimelech? A big stone. So we have a number of lessons here. Number one, evildoers will get punished. People who support evildoers will get punished. And they will punish each other, right? That is a very, very important lesson. Num number one. Number two, right? You cannot trust someone who is evil. And if you, if you think that Avimelech is going to let you go because you, you got rid of Zvul, uh, of Gaal, that's not going to work. And then one must never repay good with evil. Like you know, um, it says in Mishlei, I'm going to get the plastic not exactly. Uh, a person who returns evil for good, his house will always be full of evil, which is kind of, I think, uh, metaphoric. In other words, a person who's capable of taking a guy like Gidon and giving back to him, you know, uh, evil. He did so many good things with Jewish people, and then he's, he's, he's given this horrible thing where all of his children are killed, or, you know, the vast majority. So that's a terrible, evil thing. And that, that's a sin that's not going to be let go by. For three years, he was able to rule. I think one of the main lessons that we have to take out of this chapter is a meditation on leadership. Because the Mashal of Yotam is really telling us something. Worthy people don't want to be leaders. The people who are productive don't want to be leaders. They want to produce. If you're a tamachacham, you want to learn. If you are uh, doing sweet things, you want to keep doing that. If you are uh, producing things, you want to keep doing that. Leadership is seen in the mashal of Yotam, in this parable, it's seen as a useless job. And we have all the missionaries who tell us that if you run after honor, honor will run away from you. That's Abimela. You ran after honor. You come down to my level, protect yourselves in my shade. And he is this epitome of evil and uselessness, right? And destructiveness. So he runs after honor, honor runs away from him. The people who run from honor, honor runs after them. But I think the bottom line here, we have to think about, especially this is a sort of turning point in Sefer Shokhtim. Avimel does not follow any of the cycle. He does not follow any of the criteria for being a, a judge. The cycle doesn't work here. He's a bad guy. He's not really, you know, a judge in, in, in a proper sense. What do we do with the story? What do we do with the story? And I think one of the lessons that we have to learn here is that in spite of the, the grandeur of what Gidon says when they ask him to be king, in spite of the correctness of saying, I, I'm not your king, God is your king, we also have to remember that the Mishnah says, in a place where there is no man, stand up and be a man. You may say, Gido, that God is a leader. That is true. But in a practical sense, how are they going to run everything if they don't have someone to lead them? So if you, who are a strong leader, a compassionate leader, a diplomatic person, you know when to be good and when to be gentle and when to be mean and tough, you know how to vanquish the enemies, you're strong, you have all the great kinds of leadership. If you say no, no, right, you're leaving a vacuum that's filled 
by a megalomaniac, you know, person like with a, a Gilgal of Herod, like a person who uh, is just destructive and, and evil. And his leadership is going to be disaster for everybody. Look how many people die. So this is something we have to think about. It's not, you know, it, it, it happens today when, when there's no leaders and come the, the jerks, the jerks, the creeps, and the bad guys. That is what happened. And another great irony that we should think about and that the Das Mikra brings out is that, you know, a, a person like um, Avimelech is only um, validated as a Jew when he is, you know, when the, when the non-Jews say, oh, he's a Jew. He's not really a Jew. But the non-Jews say, oh, that Jew. So like the, the many, many, uh, many, many years that we hear people trying to, you know, downplay their Judaism, and then the non-Jew says, that's the Jew. So that's a, 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 a difficulty. Okay, so this is a tough chapter because it's like, there's all these bad guys, but we do have this beautiful Michelle. And I'm going to stop here because I'm way over.